Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do wait in hope for that great day when you will come again to make everything new and to make everything right, to calm our anxieties, to heal our diseases, to redeem the whole world. And we're really grateful that even in our waiting, you're kind enough to show up still. So we ask by your spirit you would show up among us this morning as we gather around your word. Meet us where we are from so many different places. And take us to the place you need us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Advent, uh, that's what Jenna's talking about and now our kids are thinking about, uh, is an old word that Christians have been using for a long time referring to Christ coming again. Coming again, finally one day to make it all right. Can you imagine that? It's, it, the word simply means come. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, if you know me, you know I love him, missionary to India for 40 years, uh, has this to say about Advent. For a Christian, the horizon for all action is Advent rather than future. He is coming to meet us, and whatever we do, whether it is our most private prayers or our most public political action, is simply offered to him for whatever place it may have in his blessed kingdom. Don't you love that? For the Christian, the horizon of all action is Advent. Advent does not concede to chronology, the monotonous tick of the clock until finally time runs out on the clock, but opens to us the sudden coming true of all we hoped might happen, he will come again. That's Advent. Advent cannot be reduced to a prelude to Christmas. Shopping and eating and caroling, all of it will happen, but rather Advent opens to us the best nouns and the big verbs. He will come again, that's Advent. At Pillar uh, this Advent season, uh, the big idea that we're going to gather around together uh, is held in the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, when the angel showed up to Joseph and said, they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Try that on for size. God is with us. The God, the God who, who spoke and the mountains appeared, who, who whispered and the oceans began to roar, who winked and the stars began to shine, that God is with us. 
And by us, I don't just mean me and you, but anyone and everyone who dares to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, God is with us. And you're going to need it this Advent. You're going to need it in life. God is with us. I was in a conversation with a couple of you a few weeks ago. The transition has been hard, the disruption has been real, and the diagnosis has been devastating. Listen now. God is with us. I was, uh, the impromptu conversation I had with one of you a couple of weeks ago became phone calls last week, turned into text messages yesterday about your son in the hospital now for a month, who knows how much longer. Listen now, God is with us. Is this the second Christmas now without her? Will this be the last Christmas with her? Whatever the circumstances of your life are, listen. God is with us. God is with us. Our Advent refrain that belongs to the Gospel of Matthew, belongs to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel begins like this. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's Matthew chapter one, verse one, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It begins so humbly, so personally, an account, not the account. Matthew knows well, Mark has an account, and so does Luke, and John does also. This is an account, Matthew's way of seeing things, Matthew's angle of vision, Matthew's experience of the risen Christ. This is an account. It's a true and good account, but it's still just an account. Here's here's an idea for you this Advent. What is your account? What is your account of the living Christ? So, pillar of this Advent, we're, we're offering you all kinds of resources to help nurture and open your heart to the things of God. There's this pillar journal, which is absolutely phenomenal. If nothing else, it looks amazing. There's devotionals in it. There's songs in it. There's poems in it. There's another devotional on the table. There's uh, crafts for your kids out in the whatever lobby. Take them. Use them. We're offering you all kinds of things this Advent. Let me offer you this. Between now and Christmas, can you take some time to write down your account? Your account of the living God. There are as many accounts of Jesus Christ in our lives as there are Christian believers. God in his grace comes to us uniquely, personally, comes to us. Now your account, if it's going to be an accurate account, has to line up with these accounts. But it's still your account, so take some time this Advent, what is your account? 
probably what Peter had in mind when he said, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in you. Matthew's gospel begins so humbly and so personally, an account of the genealogy. Let me get this straight, Matthew. You're about to use, make the biggest, boldest, brashest claims the history of the world could ever hear. A teenage girl has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. Her would-be, could-be husband, who probably wouldn't be had the angel not shown up and told him, it's from the Holy Spirit, goes with her still. She gives birth to the infant child in the backwater town in the shadows of the king's mountain. The, the infant child becomes the crucified one, crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. He goes to the grave to defeat death and rises again to overcome sin and death so that we might have life and abundance. He ascends into heaven where he rules and reigns until he comes again to make it all right and to make it all new. Matthew, you're about to make the biggest, boldest, brashest claims the history of the universe has ever heard, and you're going to start with a genealogy? An account of the genealogy? We don't read the genealogies. Come on. Who reads the genealogy? Three of you are lying. <laughs> we don't, we skip them. Even if we read them, we don't know their names, we can't pronounce their names, and we don't remember their stories. Get to the good stuff, Matthew. Get to the real stuff, Matthew. Come on, Matthew, why are you wasting my time? An account of the genealogy. We're going to make a whole lot more of it next week. There are 14, three sets of 14 names, 42 in all. We'll pay attention to the nuances later. But today, let me just say, isn't it amazing? The God of the universe, the other than, transcendent God, the different than, the your ways are higher than our ways God, the God of Job who said, were you there? At the foundations of the world, the God of the psalmist, who is like the Lord our God, the God of the theologians, incommunicable, immutable, transcendent, that God shows up through a family, a crazy uncle, a messed up grandma, and an aunt we don't want to talk about. Isn't it amazing? God enters into our situation. God takes on our lives. He knows the disappointment of loss. He knows the ache of sadness. He knows the dysfunction of family. He knows it all. An account of the genealogy of Jesus. Let me uh, clear up any confusion. If I haven't been clear, forgive me. Let me clear up any confusion. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the center of it all. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the bright morning star. He's the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. Jesus is the center. And sometimes I do wonder and actually even worry a little that we make it about us. We, we read the Bible as if it's about me. I mean, it includes you, it addresses you, it shapes you, informs you, it guides you, and leads you, but it's about God. God who comes to us most clearly in Jesus. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the protagonist. An account of the genealogy of Jesus. 
the Messiah. That's what Matthew called him. It's a word that means anointed. Anyone anointed for any purpose. Matthew uses it very exclusively, though. He, he has anointed for the purpose of the redemption of the world. Jesus is the Messiah. The world had been waiting a long time. The world had been aching for a long time. The world had been aching for as long as there was a world, basically. Uh, from the moment the first man and the first woman ate of the fruit they were told not to taste, the world had been aching. And the consequences of their disobedience start slow. They hide from one another. Remember that? They, they clothe themselves. It picks up a little speed, though. Then they hide from God. The velocity gets faster. That They have a boy. They have two sons, actually, and one of them kills the other. And, and their great-grandson kills a man, too. And then the, the Israelites ravage the Ammonites, and then World War I, and then World War II, and now the threat of nuclear war to end all imagination. The world has been aching for a very long time, and Matthew promises Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the longed-for one. He's the hoped-for one. Jesus is the one who takes the fall and turns it back in on itself. Jesus is the one who slows down the consequences of sin. Jesus is the one who ends violence, ceases war, and puts an end to rumors of war. Jesus is the one who redeems the world. He's the one who keeps hope alive. You don't have to hide. Jesus is the one. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, I was walking to church last Sunday with my four daughters. I didn't have anything to do that day. Uh, so I, I was walking to church with Lydia. She's the 12-year-old. Uh, Tabitha, she's the 10-year-old. Mariah is the 8-year-old. And Ava's the 2-year-old. We were walking past uh, the new park by Washington School and then came to David and Han Luen's house. They're uh, both professors at the seminary, so I, I was, like, thinking theological. I started reciting uh, the Gospel of Matthew hoping they would overhear and think I was a good dad. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Tabitha, the 10-year-old, said, hey, whoa, dad, Jesus is the son of Joseph. And Lydia, the 12-year-old, coming to her aid, said, yeah, well, I mean, virgin, uh, Mary was a virgin, so Joseph wasn't technically biologically the dad, and Mariah was agreeing with Lydia and Ava was just sitting there, singing her song, moving along. My buttons, my buttons, my four groovy buttons. We picked up the pace as quickly as we could because I didn't want the comm lines to hear our theological heresies if any of them came out. What is Matthew doing? The son of David. Joseph's your daddy. The son of David, Matthew includes David to make the point, uh, Jesus is the king. Uh, David was the king, and, and the people of God had been waiting for the true king, the real king, and, and Matthew announces from the beginning, Jesus is the king. Now, we live in a crazy world. The three of you who lied about the genealogy, can I, can I get an agreement from the rest of you? We live in a crazy world. Crazy 
mixed up, messed up, and I think a lot of us think this is the craziest it's ever been. I mean, I don't know. I tend to think every decade is craziest. Uh, I mean, if you, if, you, if you look back long enough over time and globally enough, uh, it's been crazy. And the Christian faith insists, insists regularly, insists insistently, Jesus is the king. This is why the hymn writer asks us to sing, though the wrongs seem off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And the way of his rule and the way of Christ's kingdom come to us as an infant child. A little child shall lead them, Isaiah promised. The way of Christ's rule and the way of Christ's kingdom comes to us vulnerable. She wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. The way of Christ's rule and the way of Christ's kingdom come to us peacefully. Peter, put away your sword. The way of Christ's rule and the way of Christ's kingdom, kingdom come to us by way of a cross. by way of a grave, through the resurrection, so that we can offer our lives back for the glory of the king. The way of Christ's kingdom flips upside down the way of rule in our world. So then why do you and I so regularly go the way of the world? Go the way of the world's rule. Why do we do it? I do it, you do it, we do it. But it's not the way of the gospel. It's not the way of the kingdom. And of that kingdom, there will be no end. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If, if including David is to announce Christ is king, then including Abraham is to say Christ fulfills the covenant. You remember Abram, the, the story with Abram, God uh, showed up rel relatively unexpectedly to Abram and says, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, I, don't worry. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Matthew's inclusion of Abraham is to say Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant. Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the blessing to the nations. Jesus is the blessing. To, because of Jesus, other people will thrive. Other people will flourish. Other people will know joy and life and hope. Jesus is the blessing. And our lives run consistent with his. We can't hoard Christ and keep the benefits for ourselves, but rather offer them in acts of love and kindness, and gentleness, and humility. Jesus is the blessing, and our lives run consistent with his. So maybe, possibly, I mean, you'll have to think about it, uh, maybe, maybe Jesus is the blessing for your neighbor, the one you don't like. But your act of kindness will demonstrate Jesus is the blessing. 
Maybe, maybe Jesus is the blessing for your coworker who's looking for the same promotion as you, and you're gonna encourage her anyway because Jesus is the blessing. And through your encouragement, she'll experience it. Maybe, 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 try this one on for size. Maybe Jesus is the blessing for the one who stands on the other side of the aisle, annoyingly arguing with you at every version of the vision of the common good you have. Maybe Jesus is the blessing to that one. And your kindness will demonstrate it. Am I pushing too far? An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's for the world. This is why Jesus would say, for God so loved the world. This is why Peter would announce, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. This is why Paul would say, every knee will bend, every tongue will confess. This is why John saw creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea all gathered around the throne. The blessing is for the world. And our lives run consistent with his and his purposes. So uh, Friday morning, 11 o'clock, a bunch of us gathered at Third Reformed Church on the corner of uh, 12th and Pine to celebrate the life and grieve the death of Dr. I. John Hesselink. Anybody know Dr. Hesselink? Uh, Dr. Hesselink loved Jesus. He loved the church. Uh, he loved reformed theology. He was a leading Calvin scholar in the world. Uh, I don't know who decides those, those things, but he was. He loved Jackie's place. Uh, he loved the Detroit Tigers. Uh, he was one of my professors when I was in seminary. Uh, we, we would get together, actually, with some regularity, and he would always ask, for, we'd get together for breakfast, and he would say, your place or mine, which when translated is uh, Jackie's place or the windmill. Uh, so, uh, I, I don't think I'm a pastor, actually, uh, without Dr. Hesselink. Uh, I had been rejected out of Hope College, been rejected by every medical school in America, was bored, so I took classes at the seminary. Dr. Hesselink, it was on the fifth floor of the library that no longer exists. Uh, it was a Thursday night. Uh, it was a class on Calvin's life and witness, which is, I mean, about as boring material as you can possibly imagine. There was like eight of us in the class. We're on the fifth floor of the library. Dr. Hesselink is going on about Calvin's notion of baptismal regeneration. You know, baptismal regeneration. And I'm absolutely falling in love with what's going on. And I say to myself, now why do I refuse to do this? Now I'm a pastor. Um, I'd turn in my papers to Dr. Hesselink, and they would come back with more red ink than the black ink that required the paper to be written. He, he actually even circled my name once in red ink and suggested I had spelled my name wrong. <laughs> J-O-N. <laughs> I can do that. Uh, we gathered at 11 on Friday to celebrate his life and grieve his death. Uh, Dr. Hesselink wrote a book titled On Being Reformed. And in it, he offers this. God's sovereign grace is not simply an individual thing that affects only me and my salvation. The sovereignty of God has cosmic dimensions. His sovereign will is working itself out in the farthest reaches of the universe in time and eternity. 
The reformed outlook is one of great scope and grandeur. It stresses the power of God manifest not only in the creation, preservation, and providential ruling, but above all as it is seen in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose kingdom shall have no end. He shall reign until the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Sounds an awful lot to me like an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Are you with me? An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.